This is Talk of the Town, where interesting people talk and London listens. And two of the more interesting people you will hear anywhere you're about to hear now on Talk of the Town. Marion Boyd is with us, a uh, uh, long-time guest on the program, although it's been a while since you've been here. Very nice to be back again. Nice to be here, Jim. And Robert Metz, uh, similarly, he's a long-time contributor to our program, but hasn't been here for a while. It's nice to have you back, too. Yeah, terrific, Jim. <laughs> I want to, uh, uh, in response to a caller from a listener... I had said earlier that maybe we'd talk about this or talk about that when you two came in, and she said, I wonder if you would ask them, given their particular backgrounds, to comment on what's happening in Quebec City. Um, just a thumbnail for people who don't know, there is a lawsuit. Uh, I, I believe arguments are still being heard this morning, uh, brought by a, uh, um, uh, a lawyer in Quebec, and then some other lawyers have uh, asking intervener status have also joined in the, in the suit to have the wall taken down, this 4.5-kilometer wall of steel and concrete that has been erected around the center of the city, ostensibly to uh, protect public safety and uh, to protect the delegates to the World Trade Organization meeting that's coming up there in just a few days. The lo these lawyers are contending that this is an infringement on the rights of Canadians, uh, that it contravenes the Constitution, and that the uh, um, arguments they refer to as red herrings, the arguments by the authorities that violence is inevitable if they do not do something to to, uh, to control it. Uh, these lawyers uh, and their lawyers in before the Quebec Superior Court have characterized those as red herrings and saying there's no proof that violence will inevitably flow if they take the fence down and that uh, in the absence of some proof that it, the onus really is on the government to prove the necessity for the fence and they say they cannot do that. The government is arguing back, well, we do have some precedents here, etc., etc., etc. The uh, interesting phrase I thought, I don't know if you, either of you will find it uh, uh, interesting, they said that one of the government lawyers said that the the issue of of public access is a fundamental right, a fundamental right, but not an absolute one. Now I'm not quite sure how you make the decision and make the distinction between fundamental and absolute, but apparently the government thinks there's one to be made. Marion, you have served as the Attorney General of the Province of Ontario. Mm -hmm. The Attorney General of Quebec is involved in this thing. Uh, can you give us any insight as, into into? And I know you're not. At least I don't suppose you're you're deeply involved in the. Uh, in the legal machinations there, but can you give us any insights into what it would have taken in your department, for example, to, uh, what kind of justification would you have had to see to do something like this? <laughs> well, I, uh, the, the, the extent of it, I think, is what is really bothering people in Quebec. I mean, it makes uh, Quebec look like a, a, a fortress in, in it a does. way that they, they don't mm -hmm. like, and, and certainly uh, there are a lot of people who want to do business, want to have free access to business within the lower town who are, are quite concerned. I guess the real issue is, I mean, governments are, and, and courts are always in the position of trying to balance conflicting rights. Uh, the issue of absolute and fundamental, I mean, for example, it is our fundamental right to enter public hospitals, but that right doesn't extend to our going into the operating room. Mm -hmm. So it's not an absolute right. You know, it's that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So if we look at it sensibly, I expect the government there is is arguing that although uh, right of access is a, is a fundamental right, there are circumstances of public safety uh, under Section 7, safety of the, the person, safety and security of the person, that take uh, precedent over it. And I expect they will be arguing that uh, they, uh, they, they must take this for the, the greater benefit of the larger number of people. I mean, the assumption that there's going to be violence worries me. Uh, I think if, if, if the government assumes and the police assume that there's going to be violence, there certainly will be. Self-fulfilling self prophecy. Self-fulfilling prophecy. 
Um, I saw the uh, the police that were surrounding the uh, Four Seasons Hotel in uh, Toronto when the uh, finance ministers were there. And, uh, you know, the most peaceful person gets very annoyed when they see in our country, shoulder to shoulder, completely body armed uh, police officers with masks and, and plastic shields pounding those shields. There's just something about that mm -hmm. that seems fundamentally wrong to us. and. Uh, those demonstrators showed that they could peacefully manage. There was no violence in Toronto, even though it had been predicted. Chief Fantino uh, was on the radio saying there was going to be all sorts of violence. There wasn't. Um, and uh, I, I think there's a real determination on the part of those who are going to be in Quebec City to protest the FTAA, TTA rather, that uh, it, it is not uh going to be a violent and yet we've seen lots of reports of uh, internet sites urging people to come giving them instructions on how to make molotov cocktails and how to how to thwart the police officers we did a story last week about seminars that are being held literally from coast to coast but those are not about molotov cocktails those are about teaching people about passive resistance mm -hmm. the kind of passive resistance that gandhi uh, used in in india in order to win freedom for the well if that's the case then shouldn't people. shouldn't the wall come down i I think it's overkill myself. Yeah. I do think it's overkill. I think it's very provocative. And uh, I think it is uh, the action of a government that knows it does not have the support of the people of Canada to have this kind of a summit here, given the secrecy that has surrounded the negotiations. Bob, what do you, what's your take on it? I mean, the absolute versus our fundamental and, and uh, restriction on our rights. Somebody said to me, you know, given that uh, there's going to be a bunch of people there, given it's going to be busy, suppose I want to go and visit Quebec City. It's a city in Canada, the country in which I live. I don't need a passport to go anywhere within this country to go to Quebec and explore that part of that city. I literally need a passport from the RCMP. So this is, this isn't, as he saw very clearly, he said, I don't care about public safety. That's an infringement of my, my right. If I want to assume a certain level of, 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 uh, of danger in my life, the same as if I, if I choose to drive in the 401, which isn't the safest thing in the world to do, there's all sorts of things that where I can choose to take a small risk or take a, whatever risk is acceptable to me. Do, has he got anything there? Um, I think so. This is not a, a cut and dry. There are so many issues involved here. First of all, I don't think it's a free freedom of speech issue. I think this is more of a property rights issue. Mm -hmm. And that the government, we have to understand, although we call it public property, it's really owned by the government. And the government determines the uses of that property. The government says a road is for cars. That's what goes on the road, cars. Even though it's public property, you can't be standing out there without a car. You can't put your tent out there. Exactly. And so that's fundamentally the issue. But I find it very ironic that we're talking about a wall around a city because it's very symbolic of the anti-free trade protesters because that's what they want to build around Canada is a wall. And, and how could you possibly create a more symbolic, uh, you know, physical concrete reality, if you will, of what anti-free trade is all about? It's building a wall around the country and not letting people in and out and violating their fundamental freedoms, the very same thing that we're talking about right now. Um, the fact that they're willing and have been stated publicly that they're going to use violence, if they, have, if they have indeed said so, I think that's already grounds for arrest. It's the same as uttering a threat, wouldn't you say? Um, and I, I would wonder, agree with yeah. that, and I don't believe that they have threatened violence. Well, fact, neither I do I. Otherwise, they the would have been arrested by now. I believe now. they would have. Well, the guy yeah. that did the, the fellow that did the report in McLean's magazine, uh, whose name escaped, Tom, Tom Fennell, and we've interviewed Tom many times in this program, although we didn't for this. We just did lifted some information from the article he did where he'd attended some training sessions. And he made it quite clear to me anyway that part of these training sessions, if not actively um, uh, teaching people how to 
use violence in the furtherance of their aims, that there were philosophical discussions about lending support to those who did. And there was a sense there were talk about solidarity, and, and even though you may not be comfortable uh, leading a physical attack, it's part of your job is to support the people who do, etc., etc. So some of that talk is going on. I mean, if, if Tom's to be believed, and I have no reason not to believe him, um, some of that is going on. I, I, I'm sure it is, but you still don't arrest somebody theoretically until they've committed a crime, although that's changing fast in this country, yeah. and we're, all, we're already starting to round up people before they commit crimes. But I think the issue here, the big issue is, what if you're a business person in downtown Quebec, or as happened in Toronto for two days a week or so ago, uh, where com complete parts of the city were cordoned off? Mm -hmm. How I look at it is the government's breaking its contract with, the bit with its taxpayers and the people on the streets who pay the taxes to have access to those streets so that customers can come in and out safely and securely. Personally, I think if they expect this kind of violence to occur at any event, they shouldn't be having them in populated cities. I'm with you. Why, uh, why don't they have this Louise out in the middle of a lake or yeah. out in the ocean on yeah. some ocean line? Well, their argument is uh, we, we have more people than, than we can accommodate at a, uh, at a suitable facility in Canada. They're expecting about 6,000 people, I understand. And they're saying I'm sure there's some more remote location you can pick than to put it in the heart of a place where, there's, where all this activity can occur. Um, I just find that irresponsible on the part of the officials if, if this is really going to come down. Let me ask you about the, uh, uh, the courts, and Marion, I'll ask you first. Uh, again, we can never predict what courts will do, but wh what's your sense here? Do you have any sense of whether the court is going to agree with this or not? Will they have the... Is courage needed to go against the government and say, take the thing down? Well, I mean, that's the reason we, we need independence of judges, so that they can have the courage to go against government if they determine that, in fact, the government is infringing the uh, the rights, uh, the constitutional rights of, of Canadians and others, uh, um, then they um, certainly ought to be independent enough to make that that decision. The argument will will be about whether it, it there is a sufficient uh, issue of public interest that overwhelms the rights of some mm -hmm. in favor of, of many. I mean, it'll be that kind of a balancing act if they, if they do, in fact, uh, uh, rule uh, for the, um, the complainants. Um, if they do, of course, the government will appeal to the Supreme Court. Um, and frankly, I doubt that there's time for the Supreme Court to consider it, even if they would. It's ironic to me to look at uh, uh, people on both sides of, of the free trade issue here um, seem to, they all seem to be opposed to the to the wall. Nobody likes the wall except the government. I think that's quite right. Yeah. I I think I mm -hmm. think on both sides, people are saying this is, this is this is just absolutely a, a provocative action and that is not necessary. And uh, I, I my my sense is that um, this is this is really an effort on the part of the of the police people to. Uh, to try and take proactive action that I, I think is wrong-headed. We're going to pause for just a moment. This is Left, Right, and Center on 1290 CJBK. If you have a question or a comment for my guests, Marion Boyd and Bob Metz, feel free to join us at 643-1290. This is Talk of the Town and Left, Right, and Center with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz. Uh, lines are open, 643-1290. John's with us. Hello, John. Uh, Roy, sir. I would like to uh, comment on an incident with, with respect to... Um, mass gatherings with objections to the government's policy. If you remember, Jim, in 1980, there was a, a big march on Ottawa as far as the bank rates was concerned and the mortgage rates. Mm -hmm. And I went along, my wife and I and some friends and we, uh, went there, 
and there'll be about three and a half to five thousand of us. And what struck me as being a bit of a conundrum was the fact that when we got there and assembled, the first thing that appeared on the scene was the riot squad. And the thought immediately went through my mind was, is the government uh, exposing its guilt with respect to the situation that's prevailing? You understand me? What do you think the answer is? Do you I think, think they were or do you think I they were just think being the prudent? I think the government at that particular time in history mm -hmm. realized that the people were so angry with respect to the matter of mortgage rates that they felt that they had to have a defense system, that they had to defend something which was basically wrong, which they knew basically was wrong. But were they defending the, uh, the mortgage rates or defending the, the, uh, the inviolability of parliament? They weren't, they weren't defending anything. They were expecting something. Mm. You follow me? Oh, absolutely. And what was interesting, more interesting was that a month later, or six weeks later, there was a big gathering of union. The unions brought their membership, and there must have been about 15,000. I was one amongst them, uh, again, with my wife. The interesting thing about that was there wasn't a riot squad policeman in the area. Now, it was coincidental, let's put it this way, that the Trudeau government at that particular time in history had given the unions $10 million for educational purposes. Now, is that not a bit of a conundrum? Well, do you think they were perhaps... Uh, Bought off? I don't know. Do you think so? Oh, yeah, of course they were. Yeah? Of course they were. So they weren't well, worried about bringing the 15,000 people together. Do you think there's that much solidarity in the union that the $10 million buys 15,000 people's behavior? Well, it paid for the buses. <laughs> All right. John, thanks for the call today. Appreciate it. Pretty expensive buses. Sounds that way to me, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, I wanna, I'm glad that John raised the issue of the riot police, too, because this has become an issue as well. Um, it seems now that oftentimes in situations where there are confrontations are expected, instead of putting plain clothes, or not plain clothes, but regular dress officers out there, they put officers in full gear. And I share with you, Mary, in the, uh, it makes my skin crawl a little. Mm -hmm. At the same time, at the same time, I think about the officers within that gear, and I think it's what a shame it is that in order to police a group of their fellow Canadians safely, they have to dress like gladiators to ensure that they're not going to be beamed or broken or bashed or banged. Um, it seems to me that there's a tragedy on both sides here. But is it not better to put those well-equipped guys out there on the front lines than to put someone who, if violence does erupt, might in fact be injured? Yeah, again, it's a balancing act, isn't it, really? I mean, uh, um, the thing that bothers me, I mean, I think about the, the riot that happened at Queen's Park. And we all heard them hyping up those police officers, getting them to hammer those shields and getting them hoop, 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 mm -hmm. all the rest of it. Um, when we talk about inciting a riot, uh, <laughs> it can be incited on both sides. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a worry to me. I'm terribly worried that the protesters at, at Quebec will not be able to, uh, to uh, limit the violent acts of some of their members. I'm very worried about that. I'm worried about the injuries that will happen mm -hmm. to the police as much as I am about injuries that will happen to the individual protesters. I, I truly am. Um, you know, my history goes back to lots of passive demonstrations around the war. Uh, in fact, I was down in front of the U.S. Embassy the other day and thinking to myself, you know, I remember what this was like. I hope, I hope there's enough collective memory to have people know that actually... A, a protest that is nonviolent, that is is a silent protest that mm -hmm. is nonviolent, 
often has much more moral sway mm -hmm. than one that where people are gleefully breaking the law and yeah. and and breaking each other's. Well, heads. well, a, a violent protest has no moral sway. I was just about to write the opposite of that sentence. It, it it's it's an admission that your case is pointless. That you have the only way, like you know, when persuasion fails, use force. That's the mentality at work here. Mm -hmm. And in a free society, no one is permitted to use force. You must use persuasion. And in another sense, you have to understand, like to me, the, the ultimate thing to, that would prevent all this violence is a fundamental understanding of what the issues are, which, are ob which is obviously not clear here. Mm -hmm. People who are afraid of free trade have legitimate fears, but they're not founded in reality or in experience or in the theory. They're constantly In fed. your opinion. Um, well, I used to have a different opinion. And when I examined the situation, reality impressed upon me. That's not the way it works. I have yet to find an exception. So I figure that something is scientifically or philosophically provable if it corresponds to reality. And free trade continually corresponds to a prosperous society, a freer society. I mean, free trade, trade is what human beings do to survive. And a society Ever in which, since in the which division governments of labor. no longer have the, uh, the ability to protect their people. Sure they do. The they have an obligation under free trade to protect their no, people. No, they do not. They, in, it, in fact, will limit very seriously the protect possibility... Protect them from what? From trade. That's what you're talking about. I'm talking about protecting no, the people protect from them violence. from exploitation. No, but exploitation. in free trade, you choose who you work for. You're, and exploitation, oh, yeah, by the choose, way, means right. that you're making use of something. So, yeah, I want to be exploited. That's what I want to Marianne, be how, when, somebody, how, how when people this, come to me in the marketplace. I, I'm a little confused, too, because I'm, I am of two minds of this. I see benefits and, and problems on both sides. But how, and I certainly, have, I mean, I've read the arguments, I've read the literature on both sides. But how does this, in a practical manner for an individual like myself, how does this restrict my government's ability to protect my life, liberty, and happiness? The potential for it to do that is very strong. But how? Well, let me just look at the softwood lumber issue. In the United States, the softwood lumber people who want Canada to be punished mm -hmm. have to purchase their lumber from private landowners. Mm -hmm. That isn't the way we've conducted business in Canada. We have public land and we have stumpage fees yes. that um, are, they say, too low mm -hmm. uh, because of, of, of the, the way in which we've organized ourselves. If we lose that case... Are they right? I don't believe so. But if they lose that case, then it will limit the ability of any government in Canada. If we lose that case. If we mean. lose that yeah. case. But we've won that case three times in the past, yes. exactly the same case. But if we lose the case, it means that the government can no longer set the fees that it will charge its, its, uh, its businesses, its industries, mm -hmm. on public land. In other words, it'll limit, it'll fetter their ability to make those decisions. But what I've read says that unless the fix is in, we're not going to lose this case either, that it's exactly the same case and exactly the same rules apply. Now, well, now if the fix is in, all bets are off, because how do you fight the United States? Well, that's I'm, the whole point of this free trade find, thing. How do you fight the United States? I find this Look alarming. Look potato farmers, for heaven's yeah. sake. That, that here we're admitting that we are basically raping our forests because we are setting below a market price for our, la for our, our lumber. Obviously, yeah. people are going to buy it. from us. We and yet, on the other hand, the same people who want this kind of protection scream environmentalism, on the other hand, when the free market takes care of that automatically because you should own things privately, so you take care of your property. The government has no interest 
you know, in, in any long-term investment in that land, which I think the Americans have a strong case, and it's, it's consistent with all cases on free trade. This works both ways. We both Americans and the Canadians are, are afraid of each other's economic competitive advantage in those areas where you have that competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. And Canada has some, and the United States has some. And there are people in the United States who are just as afraid of trade with Canada as there are people in Canada oh, afraid of trade yeah. with the United States. So drop the barriers. Let everyone decide. That's what freedom's all about. That's the thing I want government to protect, is my freedom to make these choices for myself, to buy from whom I choose. And, you know, when you have a free economy, the whole point of economy is that it's economical. It, it brings prices down, increases productivity, and everyone's better off. And let's just go back to what you said. You mm -hmm. said that there that that we are in Canada allowing the corporations to rape the forest. And that's not true. Part of the reason the stumpy trees are low is because of our requirement that they reforest and that they not clear cut, mm -hmm. that they, they cut in and, and it's an advantage mm -hmm. to them because we've disadvantaged them in, in terms of the environment. And and so it is one of those balancing acts in the public interest. Yes, you allow trade but you allow it under circumstances that allow those industries to make money, but ensure that they are not raping the forests, that they are, in fact, being responsible environmentalists. Marianne, if we win this case again, the fourth in a row, if we win it like we've won the last three, are you less concerned? It'll just be another issue. I mean, what about the potatoes? Now yep. they've let some people at far ends of, the, the, of Prince Edward Island mm -hmm. send their, their, their potatoes and so on. What about all the farmers? Our farmers are not heavily subsidized in this country, comparatively speaking. And, and yet, in terms of the World Trade Organization, where we see heavy subsidization in many of the Western European mm -hmm. countries, we're the ones that are being called the, 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 the subsidizers, even though, mm -hmm. in fact, we are not subsidizing mm -hmm. heavily. Well, we shouldn't uh, be if, subsidizing if at all. We should be buying the cheap, subsidized goods from other countries. Let's, let's rob them blind if they're going to be stupid enough to give it away. You know, the idea of, of a country being self-sufficient in all its resources and things is a very misleading concept. I mean, if it is true that Canada would be better off to be self-sufficient and not have free trade with the rest of the world, and isn't it similarly true that Ontario would be better off to be self-sufficient and not be dependent on the other provinces? Or wouldn't it be true that Toronto would be better off to be self-sufficient and not have to be dependent on London? And wouldn't it be true that London would be self-sufficient? And wouldn't it be true that Jim Chapman and Marion Boyd and Bob Metz should sit in their yards and do everything in their backyard from growing their tomatoes to the raising the meat to, to plowing the fields again? The anti-free trade argument is an argument for primitive, primitive lifestyle. No, it's uh, not. I, it, it is. That's where it would lead it if you not. kept going. If, if, if the free trade agreement did not give the right to corporations to sue governments when governments act in the best interests of the public, it would be a different matter. But the free trade agreement that was negotiated and put in place by Mulroney and, and maintained by Cretchen was an agreement that allows corporations, private corporations, to fetter, to, to, to sue governments for huge amounts of money but over what kind of issues? Yeah, only yeah. over economic issues. If they think only over, over economic no, issues. But isn't, but well, isn't well government has no business in economics. No, to, to Same sure, that, 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 no that aside, but you, you made the comment, Marion, that, that the, the governments that act in the best interests of the people. Yeah. Well, look at, look at, look at. I know, but governments don't always do that. We've got a government now that's elected by 44% of the people. Do you, are, are you happy with everything the liberal government does? Do they always act in the best interests of the people? My understanding is that that is in there 
to prevent gov national governments from from acting in ways that are not in the best interest but of the people. But what if they are acting in the best interest of their of their people? They, they are majority governments elected by the ma majority of voters mm -hmm. and in a in a three-party, five-party country like ours, yeah. a majority can be a 44% but majority. But wouldn't a wouldn't a good uh, uh, wouldn't the interests of the people be best served by providing the people with the best quality goods at the lowest possible prices? I mean, isn't that ultimately, I, isn't ultimately I, what I we want? Because that frees up our capital to develop our own country, to create more jobs here, to, to build more products and, and provide more services for other people. Nobody's talking about people not having access to these things. What we're talking about is we will always lose in free trade because oh, no. other countries do not have the same kind of conditions of, of work, the same kind of requirements for health and safety. So I can, sure, I can go out and buy Nike shoes that were made by a 12-year-old kid mm -hmm. in a 600-person uh, factory yeah. for a lot less than I can buy a shoe made in, in Kitchener by one of our companies. Mm -hmm. For a brief period of time, that was the argument we had against Japan, because Japan had cheap labor, and we weren't going to buy cheap stuff from Japan, and now Japan is one of the leading electronics nations in the world because we let them get their foot on that first rung. I don't think governments should be representing anybody's interests. I think the purpose of government is to pr protect our rights. And the minute you get a government protecting a lumber industry or a hydro industry or this or that, the government is abandoning its fundamental function. And that, to me, is the greatest danger we face today, is not free trade. Marion, last word to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, mean, I mean, I think uh, Bob is even more extreme than the most extreme free trader, and we've just heard the argument uh, from him. I don't agree with him. I think there is a place for governments, and I believe very strongly that governments in partnership with corporations and citizens uh, can uh, create a, a, a climate in which we can have good goods and services without exploiting people. Well, my prediction is that we are going to find out because we are going to get this deal whether the people around this table like it or not. So we're going to have a, we're going to have a chance to find out whether which of you is right and which of you is wrong. Thanks so much to both of you. It's a great pleasure to see you Thank again. You. And I hope we can get all of us together again real that soon. That would be good. Super. Thank you for listening. Folks, stay with us. News is next. We've got some more open phones and we've got Ask the Experts with Lori Rowe from Financial Strategies Group. All ahead on 1290 CJBK. In the meantime,